Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Under the Checkered Flag. Today, we have some seriousness to discuss. Unfortunately, we are starting off with the news that broke over the weekend of the death of 18-year-old Delano Bent Hoff at Spa during Frecker, during race two of the Frecker series. Our thoughts and prayers go out to Delano's family, to all of the drivers involved in this tragic incident and anybody who witnessed it. And we hope that Delano's memory is done justice and that everything he loved and stood for continues. Saying that, it is my personal belief and Delta and Al, chime in here if you agree or disagree. It is my personal belief that the FIA needs to be held responsible for this young man's death. Do I? Do you guys agree or how are we feeling about this tragic incident? Yeah, it's really sad, um, especially so young, you know, so much future ahead of him in the sport and, you know, in life in general. Um, Obviously, a super sad event, but I think, as you said, the FIA need to take some accountability for the safety in the sport. Um, it should always be the priority, and it seems like it's not the highest priority on the FIA's list, and that's probably needs to change. I mean, yeah, when we looked at some photos and a little bit of the footage of the race, um, the conditions were horrendous. There was so much spray over the um, start-finish line. You could see only the front runner, Kimi Antonelli, and literally not a single car behind him until they turned the first corner. I don't know how they would have been able to see the car in front of them. And it's yeah something that the FIA need to look at and make sure that this never happens again. I know we said it after uh, Antoine. Antoine's, sorry, forgotten his name quickly, but we said it after Antoine's um, death as well. The race's safety should be the priority and hopefully there's changes that will make sure that this never happens again. And unfortunately for a third time at the same track, it's just, I feel like every couple of years we're having this conversation. Like, I, I love Spa. It's one of my favourite tracks. But do we think it's time maybe we stop racing there? I think there's there's two conversations in that. I think there's the should Formula One race there and should, like, feeder and junior series race there. I think they're two extremely different ballparks. Um Formula One is a harder conversation. Um, and, like, obviously the drivers are more experienced. The drivers have better control of their vehicles. The vehicles themselves, you know, have better traction and all that kind of stuff in Formula One to the feeder series. I just, I think there's no real reason to keep it on the calendar for junior series with the safety concerns. Um 
Formula One is then a different conversation of like, it does produce good racing. It is, you know, a, like an iconic historical track, all that kind of stuff. But I just don't think there's a reason for, you know, even Formula Two to be racing there. I think there's definitely, yeah, the two conversations. Um, but my big thing is, you know, running an F1, they, the entire weekend is based around how much time they have on track, how much time before their event is the track cleared for. And, you know, looking down at Formula Regional, yes, they had the 24 hours of Spa on that same day. But if they don't race that race, there's, because of the conditions, we can push that back so much easier than we can push back an F1 race. If they don't race it, they can make, do a makeup race when there are better conditions where the weather is not as horrendous as it was. There's so many ways to mitigate the risk than just racing them in the conditions anyways, just to play out the championships. But it is something that they need to consider whether they allow these young, young racers to be racing in such dangerous conditions. I guess the next question that I think we'd have to consider is, and again, it, it is kind of a two-parter here, but should we be racing in wet weather? Should these junior categories, even up to F2, be racing? And then should F1 be racing? Because the conditions that we saw on Saturday when this accident occurred, F1 wouldn't have raced in. So I think questions need to be asked of why was it okay for 15 to 18-year-olds to be racing in these conditions, but some of the best drivers in the world aren't able to race in them? Like, what do you guys think? Should we be racing in wet weather? Should we be kind of, once it gets to a certain sort of standard, should we be saying, nah, that's it, over and done with, or...? See, I think the problem is with that. We should definitely be racing in wet weather, but there is going to have to be very strict standards on more or less the amount of spray coming off the tyres because, let's be honest, you can race in rain. You do it a lot. They do it in go-karting and everything. But the amount of spray that comes off the tyres, at least from what we can or I can see on the uh, cameras and when they do the driver viewpoints and all that, the spray is the issue from the tyres. It's not always just the rain and them slipping around. It's that they can't see what's, you know, just in front of their car and toppled with everything else. There's nowhere for them to really be able to mitigate the risks of what's going on on track. And Well, do we... In that regard, then, do we think that a this new kind of fix that the FIA and Formula One management are going to try where they're putting almost, um, I don't know what they're called. You know how, like, tru- how, like trucks have them on the back of, like, their tyres to, like, help with the spray? The, the mud, like, the, the mud, mud guards. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're basic. So there's. I'm not sure exactly 
if this is accurate or not, but I have heard that there is going to be some kind of like mud guard or rain guard or something like that attached to the cars so that during wet weather races, we don't see the water come up so high. It's kept lower to the ground. Do we think that that's going to be sufficient? I think that, as Delta said, it is like a visibility issue most of the time. So if that aids the visibility, that's a bonus. Um, I don't think it's necessarily going to fix all the problems with wet weather driving. Um, You have issues of low visibility just from like fog and like rain coming from the sky as well as the spray from cars in front of you. Um, but I think it's it's something um, and testing things out at this point is so important. We just need to change something until we can find a good solution that keeps drivers safe because we can't just keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. I mean, that is the definition of of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. What about you, Delta? What do you think? I think, yeah, we they do need to, you know, figure it out. If they do put uh, rain flaps somehow on the car to reduce the spray, I think it would be incredible. But at the same time, each track is so different. Um, I think it was, I've heard JM say, that corner where that accident happened, where his accident happened, it is a blind corner. And so in the wet especially, if something happens you see it way too late. You can't really react, although they've got insane reaction times. They've only got a tiny, like, minuscule moment in time where they can go, I need to do this exactly. But, say, on other tracks, they don't have that small of time to react to what's going on. So it would have to probably be per series, per track of what is to occur and when they can declare it unraceable weather. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Moving on from should we race in wet weather to some wet weather racing. And let us start off with the junior categories this weekend and the absolute (laughs) madness that occurred. Delta, as our resident oh, my. Guru, <laughs> take it away. So I'll start with F3 because I think there's a little bit less to discuss of what happened in that compared to the insanity of that F2 feature race. Um, <laughs> so first off, I want to go out and say the F3 drivers this weekend had absolute insane passes they were mostly going three to four wide in every corner um and it wasn't just the odd three or four wide it was four and five people behind them also battling three and four wide round corners and it was insane to watch um 
starting with looking at the sprint race in F3, just running through the top 10, um, we had Paul Aaron in first and then Gabrielle Mini, Kaya Colette, uh, Zach O'Sullivan, then Johnny Edgar, Pepe Marti, Kaylin Frederick, Dino Boganovich, Sebastian Montoya, um, Bordoletto, and then looking at our Aussies and where they finished, we had Christian Manzel in 14th, Tommy Woo! Smith in 21st, and Hugh Barter in 22nd. Um, and our incredible female on the grid, Sophia, in 18th. Um, moving on to the feature race, sticking again with the top 10, we had Zach O'Sullivan, um, Gabrielle Bordoletto, Kayo Collette, Franco Colapinto, then Dino Boganovic, Johnny Edgar, Christian Manzel, Ooh. Hugh Barter, Pepe Marti, Ooh. and um, Leonardo Fornaroli. Uh, Sophia Flush did finish on track in ninth, but unfortunately she was disqualified for having some front wing issues. Um, they came down too low at the end. Um, and, yeah, well, she was unfortunately disqualified after the race. Um, and I believe that was her first points finish. So it was an amazing thing for us to see a female that high up. She's an incredible racer. And she, a lot of them fought very hard this weekend. It was insane watching how much they battled constantly. Um, moving to the Formula 2. Um, so we got the news um, of Delano's passing not long before the sprint race started. Um, so they had their minute silence um, before the race started and we also had the silenced podium. We didn't do the champagne or the ending music. Um, it was a very sombre moment. Uh, but our top three for the F2 were Jack Crawford, Victor Martens and Isaac Hadjar. Um, Clem Novelak did finish third on track but was disqualified afterwards. Um, and our Aussie on track, Jack, finished in seventh. And then in the future race, there was a four-way race for the lead in the last, I think, five laps of the race. And I know I was sitting there watching it with Chelsea on the phone it was the most stressful race I have ever watched. <laughs> it was constant. And it wasn't just the top four fighting. Um, it, there was multiple battles throughout the um, pack. Um, so it ended with Richard Vashaw winning his first Formula 2 race and also for VAR, their first Formula 2 win. Um, then Ayumu Wasser in second and Fred Vesti in third. Um, Jack Dewan then came in fourth, um, finishing out that insane battle. Um, of note, I have to do. I have to say, Ollie Behrman moved up fourteen positions, starting in nineteenth, finished in fifth. For um, Ollie, he was another one that was incredible to watch, and I think Yuma Wasa also was a very big mover throughout the entire race. I think he also went. Um, up, I think he also went up about fourteen. Yeah, I think there was yeah thirteen or fourteen positions yeah. as well. Um, 
but yeah, it was an insane weekend for them. Three, uh, four races, sorry. Um, and yeah, it was just shenanigans. So many of them got um, track limits. And to quote one of them that did get his lap time deleted in quali for having track limits issues, they can take away my wit, my pole, but they can never take away my win. Um, and yeah, it was watching all that was a lot. Shout out to Richard Vashaw who did all of this, won his first feature race in F2 whilst mourning his friend and dedicating his win and his entire race to his friend. And there's also one other thing that we should touch on. Sorry. Sorry. Doing that whilst processing what's happened to someone that you know really well in the way that Delano has gone, hats off to Richard Vichol because I I don't know if I could be that strong. Speaking with mm, racing under that pressure of knowing that a young driver has passed away, um, we have heard from uh, Clem Novelak and Victor Martins um, that they did not realise that Delano had passed away. Um, they were told not long after they got out the car when they because they had the black strap around their arms and they didn't do the normal podium celebrations. Um, they were told literally not long after they got out the car and so were a fair few of the drivers um, because obviously they wouldn't have been realising that they were having a minute silence before the race was starting. How do we feel about that? about the fact that they weren't notified beforehand? Do we think that they should have been notified and should have been given the opportunity to decide for themselves if they wanted to get into those cars, if they wanted to take some time and process their feelings, especially for those guys who who knew Delano or may have had some flashbacks uh, JM in particular to 2019 with the death of Antoine Hubert. Like, how how are we feeling about what F2 and the FIA did there? I sorry, you go, Al. No, you go, you go. Um, I personally, I've been thinking about that for a while. I was like, mm, I don't know whether I would want to be told. Personally, I think if it was me in that position, I would have liked to be told after the race. Um, and I mean, like, a fair way after the race. I think if I was in Victor or Clem's position, it would have been confusing if you stepped, obviously, on the podium and they've done something for someone who's passed away and you sit there like, oh, you know, what's going on? But I think me personally, I would have rather been told after all the celebrations had finished of, like, the podium, if, say, I did make the, like, I was in that position and made the podium. But I think it's, yeah, it's something that they, I don't know how many of them would have had the choice of, you know, you have to race or do you want to not get in the car and take a moment to go through everything and have a breather? 
I don't know how many of them would have been able to or would have actually taken that choice. I think it's such like a personal thing as well in terms of like some people would want to know before so they can sort of like take that not so much like take it into the race but like you know know beforehand you you kind of have that sort of like you know sentimentality that sort of like doing this for for Delano all that kind of stuff you know um whereas I think other people like uh likely JMC um I can't speak for him but like like other drivers would sort of prefer to know after due to like you know uh it's 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 always hard to get into a car after someone has passed it kind of you know you've heard formula one drivers and formula two drivers talk about it after Antoine um how hard it is to sort of like stop compartmentalizing and it kind of like reinforces how dangerous their job is and that kind of like fear not only can make you like not want to race or sort of like impact the emotions about the race it can affect your racing as well um so I think it's a very personal thing whether you would want to know before whether you would want to know after I think those close to the drivers would hopefully know that and be able to work around that um but I think it should always be a choice for like the drivers and the people close to the drivers I don't think that the choice should be taken away from like from them from by like the FIA or something like that that's fair enough if you were in these drivers shoes Al like I know Delta said that she wouldn't want to know would you want to know um I just I feel like I'd I, I don't I don't know if I would want to know I think that like I wouldn't want that information withheld from me um I think that like so I don't know how soon the news uh, how soon before the race uh, his death actually occurred I don't think I would want to know like as I was you know stepping into the car two minutes before lights out, that sort of it thing. Was, sorry to cut you off there. It was announced roughly about 45 minutes to half an hour before the, the F2 race started. I feel like that's enough of a time frame that I would want to know because it's, it's enough time to sort of like take it on and assess it. It's obviously still a very short amount of time, but I think it's like, much different from like being told and then immediately having to get into a car. Like I know you, yeah, you've got a bit of time. That's a that's a very interesting response. I think for myself personally, it would have to depend on the situation. If it was a driver that I knew in passing, I may not be quite so bothered if it was withheld from me I'd still be relatively bothered because it should be my choice on if I want to get into a car knowing that 
there has been an accident already. Um, if it was somebody that I'd grown up with and I knew them quite well, I would want to know immediately. I, I would think that that I would, especially for if I was racing in the F2 and say I was in the same position as JM where I'd already had an accident and I'd fought so hard to get back, I'd want to know. I think in that particular circumstance, if nobody else knows, JM has a right to determine whether or not he wants to get into the car because of everything that he's been through and because of the fact that he felt like the FIA abandoned him after his crash. And once again, the FIA is just not, they're not stopping to think about these kids. They're not stopping to think about how they're going to feel. I I, I kind of feel like at the moment the FIA just sees them as disposable. They're playthings that they can throw away when the entertainment isn't good enough and that's an absolutely horrifying thought yeah no i absolutely agree i think that um the uh not getting into the car after an incident like this is not sort of a like big enough option for the drivers I think that like pressure from every side you know the um, the teams like FIA and Formula 2 and Formula 3 um, and even fans I think that we need to be a lot more understanding in these sorts of situations and if drivers don't want to drive the day that something like this has happened especially those, you know, like JMC or um, like Vashore, who are, uh, so like JMC for, you know, his past, like, experiences or people like Vashore who are close friends with the, the, the person who's passed away. Like, I think that everyone needs to be more understanding and more accepting of drivers not wanting to drive so immediately after that instance. And I think that plays into whether I would want to know because you'd only want to know if you really genuinely had that choice. And then if you, if you were told and it's like, but you don't get a choice, you have to step into this car sort of like directly or just even like indirectly through social pressure or whatever. I just think that we need to be more accepting of the driver's choice in those situations. I 100% agree. And I think that's that's something that when, like, we also, to kind of come back to that discussion about racing and wet weather, we need to take into account their thoughts too. Like, I, I know that I, I've heard the same argument again and again and again of, oh, but the drivers want to race. They're always going to choose to race. I'm not convinced that they are always going to choose to race at the if they know that there is the potential at 
for that race to be at the expense of their own lives. Like, I I don't feel like the drivers themselves actually get a whole lot of say in regards to safety. Um, like on that, like very specifically, drivers have spoken out against racing in certain races um, in the past, even quite recently. And like you take the the accident of Nikki La, uh, the race of Nikki Lauda's accident, that was you know heavily contested by a large portion of drivers. Um, there was an there was another one quite recently that the conditions were the drivers were talking about you know they shouldn't race because the conditions. Um, drivers aren't drivers are willing to race and drivers are willing. They know the risks of racing, but they also know that there is a point where risks must be mitigated and they are not always going to choose to race. And I agree, we need to listen to races more. The racers know how those sort of circumstances are going to play out much more than, you know, we as fans do or even like administrative people in the FIA who don't have racing or like that much racing experience i just yeah races need to be listened more to more in a lot of situations to be honest i think it's i mean i could probably point to a, a few different scenarios like a few different races and some different scenarios um jenna last year springs to mind yes. where missiles are landing what was it 10 miles from the track and the drivers themselves are saying no we don't want to race like a lot of drivers were very public about the fact that they did not want to race but something happened in that driver that uh, gdpa meeting and then all of a sudden the drivers were on board with racing i don't feel like and obviously i was not in that EDPA meeting, I can't speak to what actually happened, but I have heard rumours that a lot of the drivers were threatened with fines, especially the drivers who don't make big money were very hesitant and anxious about those fines for not racing. Um, I have heard rumours that some of the bigger, maybe not bigger drivers, but the bigger names were perhaps a bit more forceful in pushing that they should be racing until the situation got a little bit more dire. And I do think it's situations like that where drivers and fans aren't being listened to. Uh, Spa 2021, Suzuka 2022 comes to mind. Um, Suzuka was, they should not have been racing. That was completely utterly unacceptable um like i i can think of a multitude where it just doesn't feel like voices of people are being listened to that the FIA is willing to churn them to chew them up and spit them out and one that's probably a bit more recent than them ones would be the F2 quality in Australia. And, I mean, they did eventually listen to the drivers 
and one that was very vocal over his radio was Jack Dylan, who said, you know, this is ridiculous. What are they doing? Why are they sending us out? Like, this is dangerous. We can't do anything. And then a couple of drivers spun, and then they said, ooh, yeah, it is a bit wet. Let's let's red flag it. And it was, you know, sort of one of the ones they eventually listened, but I think them calls, they need to look at them beforehand, do the proper investigative things to say that's a dangerous racing situation. We can't have drivers on the track like that. Especially in, I would definitely agree in wet weather conditions because things can change with a moment's notice. Like, yes, it might dry up, but there's just as much of a chance that it's going to get worse. I mean, and again, I'm going to have to come back to Spa because Spa is the place that everybody thinks of with the rain. It it switches itself on, it switches itself off. Again, the same as Suzuka, switches itself on, switches itself off. And if that means that you've got drivers coming in going, no, I don't feel comfortable, this is not right, I don't feel safe, then I think some, I think a step needs to be taken for drivers, for everybody to understand that if the driver doesn't feel safe, it's not a safe situation. It's not just, and I, I do recall um, after Spa, after Suzuka, a lot of fans just saying, oh, it's just a bit of water. I suck it up. You don't get paid millions of dollars. Well, one, some of these guys don't get paid millions of dollars. And two, just because they're paid millions of dollars doesn't mean that we have a right to turn around and tell them they have to race when it could be risking their lives. I think we also underestimate the the way in which that, like, that fear and... Um, feeling of unsafety affects the way drivers drive and can make the situation even more unsafe because they are driving in a way that is you know fearful and you know un like if they're feeling insecure it can change the way they drive and it can then lead to worse accidents drivers feeling comfortable and willing to take and accept the amount of risk in a race is so important not just for the driver's well-being but for mitigating the risk of an accident like a serious accident and I know I personally was one of the ones that was like I didn't voice it on social media I to myself thought you know oh you know it's not raining that hard why are they not racing them and I didn't notice because I remember watching my younger brother's race in the pouring rain and I was like, oh, they can race them in the rain. Why can't these drivers who are making millions of dollars or, you know, racing at the top of the league, why can't they be racing? Then when you see, and I mean, on screen, it looks horrendous, the amount of spray from them tyres. But I remember looking at Australia, seeing that spray in person and the height of it and the thickness of it. You, I looked at it, I was like, why, how the fuck can they race in any wet condition? Like, looking at the sprint race in F3, it was drizzling 
at that stage, the track was still soaking wet and, like, you couldn't really see many of the cars just because of that spray. And you look at it and you're like, yeah, that is quite unsafe. You know, imagine doing that in the horrific rain like we had in Suzuka. How they can justify letting drivers drive in that is beyond my, like, brain capacity. I mean, even just listening to you there and and you're talking about your little brothers racing, like, in karting in the pouring rain and I'm, like, I, I haven't met your brothers yet. I don't know their exact ages. I know they're a little bit younger than you are. But mm. I can imagine seven to seven to fifteen year olds in torrential rain. Like we live in Queensland, Delta and I do. The rain here can be ridiculous. Like cyclone levels or hurricane levels of rain. And I can imagine and correct me if I'm wrong, Delta, but I can imagine it's been pouring for two three days and it's just like yep all right you'll be fine go on get out there yeah track's not flooded well you can still race but then again there is how how young how young are your brothers do they have complete uh, control over their cars oh they at this stages that i'm thinking would have been under the age of 12 i'm pretty sure most of these ones i think they stopped in about 2015 but you know then they wouldn't have had full control of them carts they were they were little kids in a fast car like how much control do you really think these kids are going to get when we don't race all that often in wet weather but and I mean I get concerned aquaplaning in in my proper car those guys, like your your brothers as 12-year-olds, don't have the skills that I do as a 25-year-old and also don't have the protection of a, a fully-fledged four-seater or, or an SUV or, like, my mum's just brought a Navara. I'm terrified that in the rain that thing's going to go, to put it bluntly, and I'm sorry for how this is going to come across, but I'm terrified I'm going to be the one driving it when it goes balls up. And I'm just going to be stuck hanging because this thing is flipped and I can't get it back up. So I can't imagine how scared your brothers must have been, Delta, when, like, as you said, they're 12 and under racing in torrential rain with very little protection and probably even, like, slightly more control of their car but not a whole lot more and I think that we need to consider from this like from these young ages is this okay are we willing to put our kids lives on the line from the ages of 12 because we don't race in these kinds of conditions week in week out and we don't know how a cart or an actual F1 car is going to react. Different vehicles will react differently to different tyre temps and track temperatures and things like that. Well, moving on, 
from the rain and wet weather races to the fact that we have four races in five weeks. How are we feeling about all of this F1, guys? And the F2. Well, I love it because it's four F1, uh, F2 races in five weeks. I like that. But I don't like how much, how often they are so close together. It is going to be chaos. I like it because I have F1 to watch. Um, but I think it's a bit, like Delta said, it's very close together. Especially when there's like so few races on the F2 calendar and then they kind of just stack them all one after the other. Um, and then they have like weirdly long breaks a lot of the time. Um, yeah. That calendar is a bit random, but that's okay. The F3 is sadly way worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, those calendars are uh, interesting. Um, yeah, I'm excited because I get F1 Torch all the time at the moment and that's great i just wonder how it like impacts you know the drivers especially in the lower categories if you're not driving for two weeks uh, two months sorry and then having to back up you know that many races in that short of a time but yeah delta as the uh feeder series aficionado how do you how do you think that it has an impact on those junior drivers who do have quite a significant period of time off and then come in and they do basically four races in a month and then go back to doing sweet FA until they're needed again in September? But yeah, I personally hate how we go from having, I think we've got, looking at this year, we had... Bahrain, we had Jeddah, we had Australia, um, and then we had a gap. F1 also had the gap, but, you know. Then we had Baku, gap, the triple header, huge gap this weekend. And then we got a big gap after, I think, these four races. Um, and then we go to Abu Dhabi. And it's, like, a bit of a pain. I get what they're trying to do. Oh, sorry, I was wrong. They have Zandvoort and Monza, but there's still significant gaps in between bits and pieces of the calendar where they're not doing anything. And most of them don't race in other championships. I know JM does. He races um, in the WEC cars, um, but a lot of them only do this. Sorry? He he's a champion. I I could not, oh. I I could not do what he does. He's insane, and I mean, some of them, I think, um, over the break between uh, Monaco, uh, sorry Barcelona, and this weekend, some of them raced in. Like, I know Dennis raced in the Porsche, in a Porsche series. Um, Zane Maloney did a bit of rally racing. Uh, a couple of others did some odd racing here, there, and everywhere. But for the most of them, you know, F2 is the only thing that they do all year. 
and this is meant to be the breeding ground for them to get into F1. But really, they're not racing as much as developing a driver probably should. I mean, they race more in the Formula Regional and the Formula 4 because of the amount of championships they all do. And these guys are out here only getting 14. No, I agree. I would like to see the F2 calendar expanded. Um, I think that not only for their development, um, they probably should be racing more than 14 races. Um, but also, I just really like F2, and it's really good racing, and I would like more of it. <laughs> I just... And yeah. it- like, I personally would like to see them do, like, at least either an F3 or an F2 every weekend with the F1 or even switching it between the F2, the F3 and the F1 Academy. Yeah. Like, as long as they've got one every weekend with it, it should give them all enough time to, A, be noticed in the media because a lot of them don't have that media attention, but also, B, giving all of them that, experience to be able to race in the higher categories yeah absolutely and show off their skills and as we know money is everything in this sport and the more media attention you can get the better um i'm super excited now that you mentioned f1 academy i'm super excited for next year when it is tied into the f1 calendar instead of being entirely separate i'm super excited for that for the yes. drivers in that series. It's going to be so good for them. And I can't wait to see them in Texas. I think that is going to be incredible to watch them actually racing live because unless you're watching them at the track or um, I'm not sure if the series is that they're back um, supporting on them weekends uh, showing them at all, um, but it will be good to be able to finally see them do a race Hopefully they will televise it, but it'll be good to finally see them on track, racing, doing what they're meant to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, moving on from four races in five weeks to the most recent F1 race. Congratulations, Max, once again for winning the sprint and the feature and fastest lap and taking pole both times I believe. Yeah. Just all, all of the all of the applause to you. Um I did want to discuss first of all the sprint race and that Max and Checo battle. How did we feel about that? I'm going to be completely honest. I have not watched the sprint race. Um, I was too busy spider hunting <laughs> to watch it. To be fair, that spider um, was absolutely ridiculous. I found it at one in the morning. <laughs> Your brother is evil, and I swear. I know. If he does that kind of shit when I come up to visit, oh, mate, that spider is eating your brother. <laughs> I also have not watched the sprint race because I was at work when it was on 
not when it was on I was at work and then was too tired to stay up and I just have been at work and have not had a moment it's been drastic that is fully justified well I also didn't see the sprint race I have been <laughs> in the and I am we're very good at this <laughs> I have been exhausted um however I did see some of this Max and Checo battle uh Steph Kate we we miss you because hopefully one of you guys will have seen this race and will be able to tell me if I'm right or wrong um but there was something about max complained on the radio that checo pushed him off and it it did look like one red bull pushed off another red bull i don't know who was where i I think checo may have actually pushed max off um but it looks like that the tensions are back at red bull which will not be helping Checo with this widely held belief that one Daniel Ricciardo is going to replace him possibly by the end of summer if this Silverstone test is to be believed as a audition of sorts. Do we have any thoughts on that? On Daniel replacing Checo mid-season? if this is to happen i just i just i don't want to be a hater but i've just i've just never seen the the like except for what abu dhabi 2021 where he single-handedly won max a championship along with some other controversies that should not be named i've just never seen the the greatness of checo I, I don't I don't I don't get it. I don't get why my 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 beloved Elbono was replaced. <laughs> but I just I just don't especially with his recent form, I just don't I don't see it. And I d I d I don't like replacing people mid season. I'm anti mid season replacements. I, I I think it's bad. But if Checo doesn't, you know, that that car is so much better than every other car on the track and he's not finishing second consistently. He needs to step up his game or leave, I guess, be replaced. It's the cutthroatness of the sport. What do you think, Delta? Because I have quite a few things to say <laughs> as a PFA. I'm just hold on, I'm just trying to load a TikTok of a commentator leaving no crumbs as this uh, TikTok says after qualifying. Um, just about Checo's performance. They ate him up. Um, kind of don't agree with it. It was a bit rude but at the same time quite factual. But um, as as Russell George, George says, say. <laughs> fact, fact. Um, and they're going on, and they're like, "Oh, qualifying's ended, and um, Sergio Perez is out." Um, hold on, I let him. He hit the wall in Monaco. 
uh, yes. went through the gravel in Spain, couldn't find his way in the wet in Canada or Australia. Let's be real. He could not stay on track through that qualifying at all. Um, and he got heaps of track limits uh, this weekend. And they're like, yep, he's out. Um, but, yeah, it's sort of the thing of Checo is in the best performing car on the grid. How is he? And I get Max is probably a hard one, hard teammate to size up against. But it's been proven that that car's the best gr- car on the grid. How is he not perf- like consistently second? And even then, how is he not consistently towards the very front of the grid every single weekend? Like that car is an absolute beast. We should be seeing more of Checo battling Max. Um, but saying that, I like Al very strongly against the replacing drivers mid-season. I just don't think it's fair to replace someone mid-season. Um, and I mean, I've got my own reservations of what's going on in Red Bull, um, especially being a Red Bull fan. But, you know, hope. Hopefully they don't replace him mid-season. Hopefully they wait till the end and do a big Red Bull shuffle round. But let's be honest, if Red Bull want to get him out, they're going to get him out. If they want to keep him, well, Christian Horner's going to keep him for as long as possible. Right. I'm going to warn everybody now. <laughs> I, I apologise for what I'm about to say, but I have a rant. As a PF fan, this man was replaced after Silverstone. Pretty much. I think think that was around where it happened. Maybe it was Austria. He was replaced before Spa, I think. That was the races. thing. I'm pretty sure it was eight races in. Yeah, it was it was eight. If uh, yeah, I think it was eight. You know, but so, yeah, since the calendars changed and everything, but yeah, it was before the the spa race. But yeah, eight races yeah, so in. Eight races in. You're telling me that Pierre Gasly was only given eight races in a car that is not as competitive as this, but was still doing, whilst not the best, was not absolutely awful. He was not competing with a Williams. That's no shade at Alex, I'm just saying. You're telling me that Pierre Gasly was removed from his seat after being drawn up after eight races and replaced with Alex Albon, who was then given pretty much the rest of the season and kind of 2020-ish. And yet this prick, and I'm sorry, but I I am annoyed now, this prick gets to sit there and do nothing for three years? He, I, I'm not convinced he deserved the seat to begin with. He hasn't shown any progress in actually being able to challenge Max. And yes, I understand. It's like trying to challenge Lewis for a win. Max and Lewis are different beasts. They're on different playing fields, even to each other. And right now, that rocket ship, Max is gone. 
But if Max can dunk 24 seconds on P2, pit on the second last lap for you stops and then set fastest lap and still be three seconds ahead of P2, how on God's green earth did Sergio Perez not catch up to Charles Leclerc and overtake him? No, I agree. Especially, especially when that Ferrari is that Ferrari. <laughs> well, the fact sorry, that he got but stuck in Ferrari. a battle with George Russell for like 11. That Mercedes is awful. I'm a Mercedes fan. <laughs> well on the bid. Kill it with fire. That Mercedes is terrible. Wait, that didn't Toto even said, I know this car is crap, just drive it? Yeah. <laughs> they know Toto it's crap, so it's point. okay. <laughs> Toto and I are going to have words about that discussion. (laughs) I just, the way they treated Pierre, throwing him out so quickly, the way they treated Alex, throwing him out so quickly. I'd say that like they're throwing these drivers in the bin, but you know what I mean? And then they basically did. They basically (laughs) do. They really do. They They threw Pierre back to a junior team that they had no intention of ever releasing him from. He was never going to get that Red Bull call up again. No. Alex got shunted out to DTM, where he then shared the DTM driver role with part-time F2 racer Liam Lawson, and then almost lost to part-time F2 racer Liam Lawson. Like, they don't care. And then the way they're going to, the conversations around uh, even Nick DeVries being thrown out in his rookie season, halfway through the season, um, and yet yet they're so confident about Checo and he's so far lower in that Red Bull than he should be. I just, I I don't understand that team. I genuinely said to my mother, and I do not care, Red Bull, fucking come at me, sue me, I don't care. <laughs> You're not going to get anything out of me, I'm not worth <laughs> shit. But I genuinely believe the reason why Checo is still in that seat is because Checo knows where the bodies are buried. That's kind of a weird analogy, I apologise for anybody that doesn't understand that analogy. Basically, he knows all the dumb illegal shit that they've done, and they've either gotten away with or downplayed, i.e. cost cap scandal. I'm not saying that he, I'm just saying that's an example. He knows all of this stuff and they're not willing to toss him because they know that he will go to the FIA or he'll go to another team or he'll go to the media and it will be such a big deal that it's not worth the drama to them. They'd rather have him sitting in P12 outside of the points, fighting with a Mercedes that is goddamn awful, knowing that Max can drag them to a championship, not only the drivers, but the constructors' championship. Yeah. And they keep him quiet. Max is winning. Why he's got to be staying in that seat. Max is winning the constructors' championship on his own as well. Um. <laughs> yeah, like he's he, he's. I think it's like he alone is fifty something points in ahead in the constructors championship. Um, if you take away Perez's points, which is ridiculous. Um, that car is. I I just I just. It, 
shout out Helmet Marco. If you want to come have a chat, I really want to pick <laughs> your brain and see what see what is going on in your brain. Um, I'm about to have that day because Helmet Marco and I. Are <laughs> yeah, I know. I I <laughs> I would not act. I like. I just I just want to know what that man thinks because. I, he just comes up with some strange opinions sometimes. I I would have to sit here on mute because I, <laughs> I would be cutting in. I'd be like, you racist old prick. Why didn't you take Mick Schumacher? I'd there would be a lot of anything. censored a lot of censored comments on that. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. I, so, I would also not well, be able to bite my tongue. Make Liam Lawson come on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hit up Kate. Or Delta, because one of them will sort it. They'll tell me what week I'm not showing up. Because, yeah, again, <laughs> I'm probably going to get myself banned from everything to do with F1 that week. Although, but I do I... think, yeah. Oh, just a small interjection about this Max and Checo thing. And I'm getting my facts from Drive to Survive here, because I wasn't watching the championship at this point. Mm-hmm. But correct me if I'm wrong. But when Daniel's contract came up and they were he was underperforming, mm-hmm. didn't um, Christian Horner basically say we would love Daniel to stay on, but he isn't performing, and if he wants if he's going to go somewhere else, let him. And he has like I, sa- said that to the media, but then has blatantly said to the media when they're like, "Oh, you might you guys might have two seats open with Nick and Checo," and he's like, "Oh no, Checo's not going anywhere. Why would Checo go anywhere?" Like. I don't recall him Seems very contradictory. That, no, I, I don't, don't recall him saying that Daniel was underperforming. I recall him saying Daniel was running from a fight. But I don't recall him saying that Daniel was underperforming. Though, again, correct me if I'm wrong on that one. So it's too much of a throwback for my memory. <laughs> Too many years ago. Too many years. Well, that's five, six years ago now. Too many years. I don't know. Time is an illusion. Yes. Um, what season of Drive to Survive are we on? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're on season. I think this is season six. Five? Six. I don't know. I don't know. We're somewhere. <laughs> it's almost nine o'clock. My math doesn't want to math. No. That's well. Yeah, there's got to be a reason they keep like Checo has done some good things. I don't get me wrong, mm. holding up Lewis in Abu Dhabi 2021 was like, aside from the controversies of that race, that was genuinely so so impressive, and like, mm. you know, potentially could have led to Max winning a championship. It ended up leading to Max winning a championship. Like, the way he held him up was so good. I think there was another race in that season where he did something similar. Um, it might have been... Nope, I don't want to try because I'll get it wrong. There was another race where he did something similar. Like, his defensive driving is really good, but he's not in a position where he really should be defensive driving anymore. That... That car is a front-running car, and it should just, you know, run off into the distance like it is when Max is driving it. And I am not a Max fan, but 
I just neither. <laughs> it's it just it just he should be so much further up than he is, and it's if we're comparing how far behind Max he is to how far behind Max these other drivers they've dispatched of, it shouldn't be any different when it's Checo, and I don't know why it is different, but there is something that is different. Well, I, I mean, I guess a good kind of example to sort of put him, compare him to is Bottas. Bottas had a hundred plus Q3 appearances as the second driver in that Mercedes. Why can't he do the same thing? Yeah. Although I did love, and someone's made a TikTok about it, and I love it. It's hilarious. The comedy coming out of them two this week, just not giving a shit in the um, press conference, was unreal. Like, they asked him something about, oh, what was it, something about, oh, your competitors that were meant to be not far behind you um, after their upgrades and not that uh, a fair way behind you, what do you think about that? And they're like, oh, yeah, no, you can write multiple articles about it. And then they're like, oh, you know, the race wasn't very interesting today. Maybe write a big article about this. <laughs> like, <laughs> just absolutely playing with the media. And then there's something about, oh, was everything planned this weekend, Max? And he's like, oh, yeah, everything was planned. And they're like, oh, that last, uh, fastest lap on the last lap? Oh, no, that wasn't planned. <laughs> that was such a, a showboat move. I, I, like... His ability to just pit to for a fastest lap and just be like, no, actually, it's fine. There's no danger here. It was... I find it hard to be a Max hater sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a good driver. I just have gripes with him. But that's fine. I will always respect him as a driver. We should probably move on to another Red Bull driver that I think we'd all definitely respect. Is a Kiwi. Um, running, I think he was NASCAR last weekend. This weekend? Yeah, last weekend. Uh, Shane Van Gisbergen, who absolutely obliterated everyone. Um, I didn't watch the race. Did you? any of you? I did not. Um, Do I look like I'm a hillbilly? I was going to say, I do not follow NASCAR. NASCAR is not my company. No. I remember just thinking about this now. When we were, I don't know where we were talking once, me and Chelsea, when we were in Melbourne, and we were talking about, I think, Formula 2 or something, and these guys behind us were just like, NASCAR is so much better. We looked at them and were like, What? Like, yeah. like, even oh just God. say like, IndyCar. Or something. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, we're walking back to the crown and, like, NASCAR is so much cooler because there's, like, a bunch of us walking, talking about it. So weird. But, no, he absolutely was incredible last weekend. Um, yeah, he's just insane. He's just such a good racer. He's such a good driver. I love... I love watching him. He's so good. 
obviously didn't watch him in NASCAR because it's NASCAR, but he's he's just so good. He's just so good. I don't know what else there is to say. So this is a a weird kind of stat for SDG. Just so you're aware, he has competed in supercars, rally, endurance, NASCAR, GT, and sprint cars. All he has left to do is Indy and Formula One. Complete to him. I want him. Like he, he's out here collecting infinity stones. Soon he is going to be the Thanos of <laughs> motorsport. Of motorsport. Oh okay, maybe gosh. we maybe we don't want him to collect them all. It's like a Pokemon. No. Gotta catch them. Oh, um, like he he'll fair, click at the top SPG. of an F one podium, and half the drivers will disappear. <laughs> <laughs> to be I mean, fair, though, I mean, spot for like he's gonna do. Hmm? He's not gonna do the damage that Thanos did. So, like, SVG is actually, like, a really cool dude. Yeah, he is. What a, mm. what a legend. He's just great. So Although maybe I... we want him to collect them all just because someone's got to do it and why shouldn't it be one of us? Why shouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. There was – I remember hearing the uh, commentators. Dad was, like, watching a Facebook video of it. And they commented so much about his footwork on the pedals and how, unlike every other driver, because they do have the clutch in um, the NASCARs, but none of them use it because you don't need to. Um, The engines are all wide so they they can still go upshift and downshift without using the clutch. But he used it because that's what they do in supercars and – all like the Aussies and Kiwis who have raced in supercars, and I'm not going to stuff up and just say Aussies again. Um, <laughs> they they all do that, and they've seen it a couple of times in other races that they do, and it greatly impacts the way that the car drives because it changes something with the car handling or something. I didn't get the whole nitty gritty on it. I was trying to eat my dinner, but. Um, they just commented so much about how it was incredible watching such a different driving style and how he's managed to use that clutch to his full advantage where everyone else didn't use it at all. It was very interesting to listen to. I think I mentioned it like it was a five or ten minute video. They mentioned it for about a good half of the video. <laughs> As SVG himself said, the top 10 in supercars could do what he did in NASCAR. I don't want to take away from his win because props to you, my guy. Love seeing a Kiwi who's been adopted by the Aussies because he's (laughs) every single one of us. We love stealing the Kiwis. It's great. We do. do. Can we steal Liam Lawson, please? No. Yeah, we, please. We'll, we'll give him a no. seat. No. <laughs> How about Marcus? Can we take Marcus? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. What about <laughs> what other good Kiwi drivers? This when were we asking permission to take these? We just kind of take. Good, them. good point. Let's just um you did. take them. You did. You you took Russell Crowe. Yeah. You took, took um Crowded House. Yeah, no, we'll no, just take we, Liam and Marcus. We've taken the Pavlova back. We have the high mm. court on our side. 
ah, stuff the High Court. Yeah. Not- <laughs> we have the International High Court on our side, man. <laughs> stuff the International High is. Court. Ow. What do they know? Yeah. A lot, usually. Nah. <laughs> but, so, returning back to the F1 for <laughs> what is pretty much our last sort of discussion of the night. What do we think of Aston Martin protesting the race result that led to, now bear with me here because there's a lot here, that led to the finding of 1,200 track limit infringements where only 100 laps were deleted and only eight drivers penalised? We love this. Um, I think, first of all, 1,200 track limit infringements is ridiculous and there's two issues here one drivers need to keep it within the lines secondly um i saw alex after the race he said that he got his first infringement on lap like 20 but it was an infringement from lap six or lap five or something and it was by the time he knew that he was outside of track limits he already had enough infringements that he just got a penalty while he was trying to adapt. I think drivers should know where the lines are, but the feedback should also be coming from FIA way less than 15 laps later and way, 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 way less than an hour and a half after the race. Um, The amount of track limits is ridiculous, but the amount of track limits would have been heavily reduced if that feedback was getting through to the drivers at an appropriate pace. And I think another thing Alex did say, he goes, I wasn't even using the exit curbs. They're like three laps here after my first um, knowledge of the infringement. And he was still getting them. And he's like, I don't get it. I'm not using the exit curb. How can I be violating track limits? And they're like, oh, yeah, that was 15 laps earlier, mate. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's not. If the drivers are adapting, like Alex, after he found out his first infringement, like he adapted, he changed his driving, he fixed it, and yet he still got a penalty because the FIA wasn't quick enough. And that's not fair. The thing that I'm finding very interesting is, one, the FIA seemed like they were just happy to let it go until Aston Martin protested the race result, which then resulted in Aston Martin getting a three additional points. So that, I think, is snicker-snicker from Aston Martin. Not going not to degrade or disapprove because you do what's got to be done, but Snicky, snicky. What I do find most interesting, though, is only eight drivers, only a hundred laps deleted, and eight drivers penalised. But there were twelve hundred track infringements. Are you, uh, is the FIA seriously trying to say that out of a grid full of twenty, only eight drivers went over the limit four times, four or five times? Is I know. I said. I'm going to call bullshit. I know I said it's like late at night and my math isn't mathing, but I'm pretty certain that 
hundred, what was it, one thousand two hundred track limit violations, and eight drivers penalised doesn't math right. There's like, isn't there only fourteen hundred laps between the twenty drivers? Uh, 1,372, I believe. Yeah, so there's 172 laps that are okay. That is literally not enough that every single driver, that, that, that is literally, there is not enough drive, uh, not enough laps left that any less than 18 drivers should have been penalised. And, I mean, in so, the F2, they made comment of it because – and it's even in the F3 because they also had a significant amount of track limit violations. I think in F3, they had 17 drivers um, called to the stewards yeah. after um, free practice and got a strong telling of years of stuffed up. But – You're not you know, boys. How dare you? <laughs> it, it was – I think they said – Two warnings, then the black, two or three warnings, the um, black and white flag, which is your final warning, and then a five-second penalty. Surely, with the amount of commentary that I've seen all over Twitter of, this person's gone up in this corner, they're off again, he's off again, and just constantly dobbing on each other for the track (laughs) limit violations, how have only eight of them been penalised? The the track limits were ridiculous, and... Like, I don't know what the solution is. But, like, also the track limits produced some of the funniest memes. Like, Esty <laughs> yes. Bestie on his radio after the race being like, oh, or his his uh, engineer being like, oh, and so many so many races penalised. And Esty goes, yeah, but not me, though. And then he gets four penalties after the race. <laughs> so funny to me. And uh, Hulkenberg getting his black and white flag, like, three laps after his <laughs> DNF. Like it's terrible. What about what was it? Has to like no penalties for um. Oh no, Mercedes on Twitter. You get a penalty and you get a penalty and you get a penalty and then has to like, we didn't get a penalty. Correction, we have. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I just love them on Twitter. It's so good. Their admin has no right being that funny. Like yeah, no right, no right. Also, and this was an issue also. Has have to have something going for them. And if that means they (laughs) win the social media championship, it's about the only championship they are going to win, okay? They should make a social media championship for the teams. I think it would would be close. I think it would be so close. You've got Aston Martin up there. Um, Haas is up there. Can we put Ryan Air into this Africa, championship? Africa. Oh my gosh, yes. I think Ryan Air maybe. Ryan, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Ryan, Ryan Air is going to do a massive challenge. I'll take it every time. Ryan Air will take it every time. It's so good. Because they just, they do not care. Anyone can catch it. Everyone and anyone. But um, should, and I'm talking about the F2, F3, should it be something that they're penalising these kids more for? Or that they should be more lenient on them because the kids in the big cars are struggling to hit the track limits. How are you expecting these younger kids to be able to do it? Or should it be, you know, we penalise you now so that we don't have these issues in the future that we're constantly getting up these guys for track limits? I think it's whatever's going to make them a better driver because that's I like I know there's you know winning is important 
But that's what those junior series are made for, is to make, you know, make these drivers better and improve their skills. But I think even that is like, do you penalise them and be really harsh because they'll learn their lesson that way? Or do you like be more lenient so that they actually have a chance to learn instead of just being punished? And I just, I just, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. It just seems to be an Austria problem, though, sometimes. Like, also- we... We don't have this many track violations, literally, like, anywhere. But we always do at Austria. Austria, we always have so many. We had a heap in Spain the other weekend. That's true. That was that was so funny in the F2 race. If, Chelsea, if you remember watching it. I do. It was, we, we, we went round and it was, oh, who's got a five-second penalty? Oh, yeah. this person. I no, think Brad yeah. Benavides was collecting penalties for a long time that, after that race. Again, I feel like <laughs> that he's kid. still serving penalties. He is yeah, he is. He's still, he's still in Spain, actually. Oh, he, he got it's, one this week, like, and we're like, this kid's yeah. still serving penalties. Let him be. It's like Esteban, man. He's going to be serving penalties until, like, I don't know. Until the end of his career. He's going to be serving not, penalties but... until Abu Dhabi. <laughs> like it's ridiculous. Oh, I, I, I feel like I'm Chloe Bourgeois from Miraculous Ladybug. Super neat I love reference. How that was, that's a very but, niche reference. I love how that was like, a reference. Like I feel like I should be like ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. <laughs> I felt like on brand. So funny. Oh, God. Bestie now is number one and number two in uh, most penalties in a single race, which is very funny. And they're both this year. Followed too. by number, yeah, followed by number three at Pasta Maldonado, yeah. Which is, yep. t- is equal, equal second. Equal second with Esti Maybe we do need someone to be Chloe Bourgeois and start talking to the FIA because that <laughs> terrifying little animated cast, like that animated 14-year-old, seems to get her way. And I'm going to call my dad and you're going to hear about this. <laughs> my dad, the mayor of Paris, like, what? Did you know? <laughs> ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. You're utterly ridiculous, marionette Dupan Chang. I, I don't know if we want her. I don't know if we want her to to talk to the FIA. She'd probably get. She'd probably do some funky shit. Yeah. She'd like. She'd like get Paul. She'd get Paul Ricard back on the calendar, and everyone would be like, "Why?" I, I okay. I would kind of agree if they just had the monkey trophy. That's the only reason I like Paul Ricard. She would get the monkey trophy back. Oh, the monkey Sorry, trophy. She would get I the love monkey. that trophy. Chloe Bourgeois has such power that she would have the monkey trophy as the championship trophy. I think there's even, and this just sounds ridiculous, I don't know how I know this, but I think there is even a rule. Utterly ridiculous. <laughs> I think there's even a rule that says that 
the um, trophies handed out at the race have to look like a traditional trophy. I think yeah. I remember reading somewhere that there's a full-on like thing, a full-on rule written into F1's regulations that they have to look like a cup. And then there's Paul Ricard with the monkey. There's also, like, wait, I think they might be new rules and that's why they had to get rid of the monkey. Because there was also, like, weight limits or something on the trophies and apparently that yeah. monkey is like solid as a rock like it is a heavy monkey like that monkey's thick well it's not just a monkey it's a gorilla isn't it yeah <laughs> that monkey gonna murder oh. some people <laughs> all, all that muscle <laughs> dummy thick <laughs> so to be fair the drivers don't actually get to keep the monkey that is so or sad. any of the cars they now get like little medals, like they're at the and the teams get to keep the trophies. That, that's a load of balls. Sometimes the teams will give you a, a trophy or two when you leave. Sometimes. They run out of space. The teams run see, out of space sometimes. I did see earlier today that somebody was at the McLaren Technology Centre and Daniel was apparently promised that his Monza um, his Monza trophy would go beside Senna. They had yeah. to go hunting to find his Monza trophy. I remember a video of him, like, putting it next to the Senna trophy and, like, it was so cute. He was, like, almost crying and it was, like, so special to him and then they kind of just moved it. Moved it. Can we, so while, we're, while we're on the topic of McLaren, can we quickly just touch on the fact that every time Lando and Oscar have a picture together, they look like it's they're taking their first day of school pictures? They're so, they're the same person. And the same person. Well, Lando, I think, they're is a little so bit louder than Oscar, but they're cute. Same person, they're different. Cute. Yeah. Same that's, person my next, different. that's my next favourite budding friendship, and if it doesn't, come to fruition I'm gonna be sad because it would seems like it would be such a cute cute friendship have you seen the photos of Oscar with like female fans like he's just like arms crossed in front of him he's like stood yeah and then you just got Lando who's like just super chill and relaxed and stuff I feel like that arms crossed um stance is just a regular emote of him like I, I think most of the photos I've seen of him, yeah, they're not like the first. <laughs> that's the first thing that came to mind. It's his avatar. That, that's what I meant. <laughs> he doesn't Fortnite um, dance. He just dances. <laughs> no, Oscar, Oscar doesn't dance. Remember? Oscar doesn't dance, do and he doesn't. He doesn't dance. He doesn't sing. Um, you have to poke that net. Either that or you take him to Lord so that he starts talking about the most boring sport on the planet, cricket. Oh, I think I remember seeing something. On the, uh, on the, oh, my God, I'm so glad no one's asked him about this drama in the cricket world because I feel like he'd just be like, oh, he'd word. Actually, to be fair, it might be the most animated we've seen. <gasps> Is Oscar Piastri, new topic, is Oscar Piastri an NPC? Um. Yes. Have you ever seen that man not in either black clothing or his... um, I just think he's an NPC. Or his, like, team wear? Yeah, no, never. Yes. Never. 
Once, that meant, in that like, photo of him with the Australian team at Lords, the Australian cricket team at Lords, dude was in a white shirt. Once. Oh, is it, yeah, okay. once that he's in like a, like he never, like I remember seeing pictures of him in his Premier days and he was always either in the Premier outfit or the yeah. Alpine outfit or Reno or a black shirt, like never anything else. I just, I just want to see more of who this man is because I know nothing. And, that's why we love Prema, and he's no longer there. We don't get his personality as much. Yeah. He, he's got to be cool. Now, I'm gonna... Does he, though? Oh, I don't know. He's an Aussie. I'm going to say half the... And? Ah, uh, you know. You gotta... He's Oscar. I love Oscar. Come on. Look at all the other Aussies in, in motorsport. We love Liam Lawson. That is a joke. That is a joke. It's okay. <laughs> we do love our we do love our Aussie Liam Lawson. Yeah. No, we're like Danny Rick, cool dude. Jack Dillon, cool dude. Cool dude. The Tommy Smith? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Not a cool dude. <laughs> yeah. True. We pay out on him so much. Oh lord. I'm running so through like his I'm rolling through Oscar's, like, Twitter and just, yeah, no, dudes, if he's, he's in a white shirt and black pants a few times. Like. But it's always the most basic outfit. with Andy like, Murray. Hey, dude is living. This man knows how to do a capsule, um, what is it? A, a capsule wardrobe. Like, he's got it down pat. I mean, like, he's the perfect person that you'd want for, like, any sports team because he always wears the outfit. Like, he is just the perfect person to constantly parade your product around. Even then, dude is in a walking gym and he's wearing McLaren. I mean, let's – I kind of hope that DRS starts fucking him over because them tweets (laughs) – were amazing when it was happening in I think it was F2 or F3 but um we hope it doesn't happen again because man's needs it but he's quite a quiet person apart from like the official posts and everything so his mum's a character yes yes I love her so has anybody seen have you guys seen the McLaren livery for this yes Cry, I heard. Cry, hold, cry, on, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I heard about it, but I haven't had the chance to look at it. Ew! What it's, the fuck? Okay. Go, go, have a look at it. Ew! It's cool. It's not as cool as old Chrome McLaren, but it is. I like. I like a Chrome McLaren. What is going on with their suits? I haven't seen their suits. Okay, I. It just looks weird. They've got too many colors on it. They've got like the the oh, chrome colors the... all up their legs. It just looks weird. No joke. Go onto the McLaren's Facebook or Instagram and just scroll through the picture where they they've got the livery announcement and they've got the two of them standing in front of the car. Please tell me that that looks like they posed for a first day of school photo. Probably a no. little bit happier though. Oh my god, I don't want. Why did McLaren F1 not be the first thing that pop up? I don't care about McLaren road cars. <laughs> yeah, it's true. 
what is going on with Lando's facial hair? I know. <laughs> it's so bad. I'm sorry, but uh, he said himself he can't grow much and it really does not suit him. Then stop trying with love. It just looks weird. <laughs> Very Not opinionated about his facial hair. <laughs> <laughs> I think that sums it up. Well, on that note, I think the end of the podcast is calling. We hope you've enjoyed listening. Uh, we've been a bit a bit of a different kind of vibe with all the seriousness. Um, once again, RIP Delano. We didn't know you. Unfortunately, we didn't really get to see you race. Um, but we've heard great things and you will be sorely missed. Uh, and come back next week where we will continue discussing the hard-hitting F1 news and whatever shenanigans happen at the Silverstone slash British Grand Prix because oh, wait. Well, we haven't is... made our predictions bro I didn't even make my predictions until like an hour before race day but Austria, yeah, I, am, I am in no position to make can a I, prediction to can I just ask for everyone's second and third place predictions because I think we know who's going to get first. Max. Yeah. Yeah, Max. Um, I like being gone beyond the point of really caring about first place. The race is for second. I kind of, I sort of want. It sounds really odd, but I'm. I mean, I'm in two minds. I either want Lewis and Lando because of the fact that it's the British Grand Prix, or I want it to be, like, I don't know, what are two former, like, a straight, so Oscar and, what, China? Yeah, fuck it, Joe. I want Oscar and Joe to be two and three. I don't care how they do it. I don't think it's going to happen. That would be so cool. But that's, like, a giant... Especially Joe after last year. I just want... Oh, yeah. To see that race that ends up with those two in second and third, I just want to see what happens. I, don't, I just want to see what happens if a race where we have them two and um, Logan on the podium. No. <laughs> that would be very interesting. Happen. No, but one can fantasize. conspire. I'm going to say dream, but I'm going to say fantasize. What are you going to do? Run onto the track? Also, yeah. actually, don't just do that. real quick. No. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, that's not I safe. Say, oh, no. Charles is getting a haircut. Well, there goes long-haired Charles. Maybe that's maybe that's a good omen and he'll get second at Silverstone. I really hope he does go on the, get second this week. And then I'd like to see him in first. Give, give a Brit a third place. Any of them. That, that, Georgie boy. Just any of them. Just give one of them third. As a treat. <laughs> Jack Villeneuve tre- has called Max Verstappen a war machine and a robot. Yeah. I see that. That makes sense. I, I'm, I ain't going to disagree. But on that note, 
before we get done for slander, we're going to peace out. Uh, enjoy your weeks, everyone. We will see you all again next week for a Silverstone wrap-up. Bye. Bye. Bye.